In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to uh, your liking, nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have convented with you when, when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be the greatest, greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord God Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Jane, thank you for much indeed. Uh, do uh, keep your Bibles open, because if you close them, you'll never find Haggai again, will you? That's one of those things. Uh, let's uh, pray for a moment. Father, we long that your church be built. We long that your glory will be seen and known on this earth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are four very sad-looking Buildings. Oh, and we've got the answer anyway. No, we haven't. Uh, any clues? Anyone to guess what those buildings might be? A bit louder, sorry. Very good. You can have a free cup of coffee later. That's very, very well done. They are all former Olympic venues. But they've been abandoned, partially demolished, vandalized because the glory, the Olympic glory, the Olympic stardust, the athletes have gone. And so they become redundant. They become worthless, being nothing more than a sad reminder of former days. What's the point of a building? What's it there to be? What's it there to do? The people of Haggai's day were struggling. After 16 years, they've gone back to work on the temple. And now in chapter 2, seven weeks later, they need further encouragement because they're focusing on what it looks like rather than what it's there for. And the Lord reminds them that his temple and for us his church is there, it exists for his glory. It exists, it's there to point to that climax and fulfillment of all history when those who've trusted in the Lord Jesus are gathered together 
in the heavenly throne room. So verses 1 to 3, where is the glory? The size of the task and the weight of history prove discouraging. The message comes, Haggai's to speak to Zerubbabel, to to Joshua and to the remnant. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? The reality is, not much progress has been made. It's been harder than they thought. There have been lots of feasts and festivals in the 23 days, and they just haven't got on as they might have done. And again, I imagine that's a pretty common experience amongst us, isn't it? Building projects that take far longer and cost far more than we ever thought they might do. All sorts of work undertaken that, well, it proved a lot more difficult than we thought. Yeah, progress has been slow. There have been lots of interruptions and there's been the pressure of opposition. But there's another and in a sense a bigger problem. Who of you saw this house in its former glory? In other words, Solomon's temple. That's what we're talking about. Now given that Solomon's temple was destroyed over 60 years before this moment, the maths would suggest that not many people can be there who actually saw it. But... They will have heard about it, won't they, from parents and grandparents. And we know what, ha- we know what happens with those uh, sorts of retellings, don't we? Things get bigger. Things get more splendid. The occasion's more magnificent. So what they're doing now, well, look what the Lord says. Does it not seem to you like nothing? That's actually rather weak. It should be. Does that not seem to you like absolutely nothing? The Lord seems to agree with them. He doesn't sweeten the pill for them at all. It is all a bit pathetic, isn't it? And we experience this sort of thing, I think, a sort of trophy cabinet syndrome. It can be a sports thing. It can be a business thing. It can certainly be a church thing, can't it? If you go to visit one of the great sports stadia, there'll be cabinet after cabinet holding the trophies and the successes of the past. I think the worst rugby team have had it pretty tough this week because the death of Barry John has reminded them of just how brilliant they used to be. But it happens in business. When so-and-so was in charge, we made it into the FTSE Top 100. Look where we are now. It happens in uh, church life. When I was in the youth group, we used to take over 100 away on house parties. Look what they're up to now. The past judges the present. The present simply can't live up to how good it was in the past. So let's beware. Let's beware of doing just that, remembering how good it was or how good they were, she or he was. Nostalgia is the illusion of permanence. So let's not fall for it. And let's beware too of being taken up with the outward things, be they buildings, be they numbers. No, what matters is where is the glory? What is the purpose, the function of this building? Well, it's not in the outward. It's not in the old. It's not in the form. Instead, verses 4 and 5, let's be encouraged by the word of the Lord. The people's despondency is met by the word of God three times 
declares the Lord three times, be strong. They must remember the promise of verse 13 of chapter 1. I am with you, declares the Lord, because the Lord's presence is all they need. The God of the Bible is no mere bystander or interested spectator. He is actively involved in and with his people. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains with you. You see, verse 5 is the real history of Israel, not the rewritten despondence history. The promise when they left Egypt was, my presence will go with you. Alec Matias says, they see an unattainable past and a hopeless present. But the Lord sees his own present, his covenantal word of blessing, his spirit. So once again, it's the word of God that can change our perspective. Help us see things from his point of view and rescues us from the negativity and the despondency we can so easily fall into. Despondency says, I can't, so I won't. Faith says, I can't, but he can, so I will. I look back to uh, a mission we had when uh, I was a curate in Eastbourne. And we held one event at the local sports club where I was playing hockey, cricket and squash. Didn't have time for much else, but it was great fun. Many were invited to that event. And absolutely nobody turned up. But since then, I've organised loads of events and invited many more people. I think of inquirers' courses where the couple, the, 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 the people attending have engaged really well but who, when it's come to the end of the course, have said no to following Jesus. But I've led many such courses since. And I remember with great sadness those who professed faith, but as in the parable of the sower, in time proved faithless and fruitless. But that doesn't stop me going on talking to people about Jesus. So you see, the task may be great. The task of working with God in building his church is an enormous challenge. The discouragement's many, as we were thinking last week in terms of Church of England numbers. The opposition, fierce. But our God is greater. So let us pay attention to his word. Let us be that faithful remnant to be encouraged and energized for the work that he has set before us. For we have God present with us and in us. And as we recognize our weakness, so his strength will be at work. Let's remember what he said and let's live and work in the light of it. Thirdly then, verses 6 to 9, 
and uh, in case you're getting too excited, we'll be spending most of our time this morning here. Uh, The Lord promises a more glorious future. Things can only get better because the Lord will indeed return to his temple. You'll notice the, uh, the people are told at the end of verse 5, do not fear. Fearing the task is too big, fearing it's too difficult, fearing the opposition. Don't fear because the Lord is going to act. There's a, a four at the beginning of verse 6. Don't fear because. Don't fear for what the Lord is going to do. And just worth noting that as with most Old Testament prophecy, there are different stages of fulfillment on the way to Jesus and the final fulfillment. The illustration we would often use is that of going for a walk in the hills. You go up to one horizon and you find there's another one and another one and another one and the children have had enough by then and have turned back and gone home, haven't they? But we know how that works. There's always another ascent to make. So it is with the Old Testament prophecy. Let's think, first of all, about shaking. In a little while, the Lord says, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. The language of shaken is quite common in the Old Testament, and it's invariably associated with the Lord's appearing, often in judgment. Sometimes it's actual thunder, Lightning and earthquakes, like at Mount Sinai as they escaped from Egypt. But often, it's the language of that being used to describe a significant and momentous event. Uh, Psalm 18 is interesting, if you want to have a look at that. We might use the language, that sort of language, in a similar way, mightn't we? There are some by-elections later on this week. Should the uh, Reform Party beat the Conservatives in Wellingborough we will be told that is a seismic event in British politics. But there'll be no earthquake, will there? When Jurgen Klopp announced his decision to leave Liverpool Football Club as their manager in the summer, we were told that Anfield was rocked to its foundations. Anfield's the ground where Liverpool play. But nothing moved. All was as secure as it ever had been. We use the language to denote significance. And verse 7 is fascinating, because there, I will shake the nations. That's the only time in the Old Testament that the shaking language is applied to people. God is going to shake up the people of the world. And at the end of the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 66, we're told that people from all nations will take the good news of Jesus and bring that glorious message to the whole world. That will be one of the most significant moments in world history because that good news welcomes Jew and Gentile together into God's family. You may remember that uh, the apostles are accused in the Acts of turning the world upside down. That's what we're talking about here, a momentous and significant event. What then about the promise of verse 9? The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. 
For those listening to Haggai on the 17th of October, 520 BC, that must have seemed like just far too hard to grasp. That can't possibly be true, can it? The promise was that to their building, what they were now working on, God would return. Because back in the prophet Ezekiel, we read that because of the people's disobedience, the glory of the Lord departed from the temple. Here is the promise of his return. The covenant Lord once again dwelling among his people. His glory, the glory, will return. The purpose of the building will be restored. But history records moments of greater glory as well. Maybe the greatest significance was when the Lord Jesus visited this site in the Gospels. He came as a baby, as a teenager, and during his ministry. Herod the Great rebuilt this temple, although it was sort of one of those rebuildings where basically he pulled down everything was there and started again. But it is the same site. It was to this place that Jesus came, even not to this structure. And while there, declared, you'll remember, that we no longer needed buildings. God would no longer meet with people in special places because Jesus himself was the temple. We now, humanity now, meet with God in him. A greater glory indeed. But of course you'll be aware that the tragedy of those occasions was that most of those listening failed to see the moment. Just glance back to verse 7 and we see some of this uh, glory again. What is desired by all nations would be better read as the treasures, the precious things of all nations. And that's shown in verse 8. Silver and gold are those treasures, those precious things. Because, you see, as God builds his church, he brings in those from all nations. And with them come the resources necessary for the building of the church, the skills, the abilities, the time, the energy, and the money. And because he is the Lord of all, nothing is lacking. No resources are missing when it comes to the building of his church. The place where he will and continues to be glorified. Now, I imagine as we think about the church, and it's not just the numbers we were thinking about last week, but as we think about the church, the local church, it's quite hard, isn't it? to see it in such positive terms. We know there's a lot wrong. But this is the reality. God dwelling in and among his people. And so with confidence we echo Paul's prayer, to him be glory in the church. The peace of verse 9 in this place, I will grant peace. It may refer to the restoration of the sacrificial system during Haggai's day and afterwards. It certainly points us to the sacrifice of the Prince of Peace. 
the one who by his sacrifice won peace with God once and for all. And also, in that wider sense, the word peace created a community of harmony and care, commitment to one another and unity in him. And of course, today, we're frustrated because we want church to be so much better. We're still hampered and spoilt by our sinfulness, aren't we? If only it was better. And we long for the day when it will be better. And of course, there is that day coming. The prophets speak of a final day of shaking. When everything... The universe, whatever's beyond the universe, everything will be shaken to the point of destruction. On that day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth for all who have trusted in God from every nation. And that gathering will know and enjoy God's full and forever peace and glory humanity face to face with their creator and savior with god father son and holy spirit basking in their glory and we're told that then there will be no temple the reason because the lord almighty and the lamb are its temple face to face with god Knowing his peace and his glory, you need nothing else. This is the glorious future that the prophet brings us to. Last week, we noted the almost terminal decline of numbers attending Church of England churches. And someone rightly pointed out to me at the end last week, that I hadn't come back to that in the sermon. And part of the reason for that was that the answer to that particular problem and issue is to be found here in chapter 2. What is the hope for the church today? What is its future? The answer is the Lord's commitment to his glory and the Lord working in his way to bring that glory about. You see, our hope for the future lies not in ourselves. However tempting and attractive that thought might be to us, it lies in him and him alone. In his presence and in his acting to bring about his glory. So as church, we will go on proclaiming the glorious good news of Jesus. We will be praying that around the world, people from all nations will be saved. Uh, Alex was at a conference uh, last week, and he was saying there were some great stories of immigrants who've come to this country who are now following the Lord Jesus in numbers. Talk to Alice afterwards. Be encouraged with that news. All nations are being brought together and prepared for the Lord's glorious presence in eternity.
Yes, the Lord will be glorified in his church. That's why this is the day when his church must be built. And we're called to partner with him, to work with him in that building project. The partnership booklet tells us how we can play our part here in our own small way. Time, skills, prayer, money. Be assured, though, the Lord is building his church. And his invitation to us to be partners with him stands. Because when faced with this enterprise, faith says, I can't, but he can, so I will. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. In fact, you might like to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Page 1175.